electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm going to tweet one in two tonight on Fast, the perfect angle why chart master Carter Worth is inclined to believe the S&P's stellar run is soon to end. Plus, Netflix and Bills, the streaming giant upping subscription fees and investors upping the shares. What the new prices may mean for the company and the stock and later on options action, jumping the arc, the arc innovation ETF, that is how you can protect yourself as dollars flow out of Kathy Wood's flagship fund. This is Fast Money. I'm Tyler Matheson in tonight for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, the Westchester Woodsman, Steve Grasso, Jeff Mills, Nadine Terman, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. All right, welcome, everybody. It's good to be with you once again on a Friday evening. We start with a bank-led sell-off on Wall Street, the Dow dropping 200 points to close out the week with J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, American Express together shaving about 170 points off the index. That's most of a 201-point decline. The weakness in the sector coming after earnings from JPM and Citi, both dropping after warning of rising expenses, particularly in wages. Wells Fargo may be a surprising bright spot. That stock jumping after its earnings beat. So was this a case of traders selling on the news or... Is there something more going on here? Steve, let's start with you and not lose sight of the fact that this is obviously one day's trading and there are an awful lot of favorable wins, are there not, uh, supporting the banking industry? Yes, but, you know, when you think about banking, Tyler, you think about the XLF, the ETF for the financial sector, of which Berkshire and J.P. Morgan make up about 25%. So, if you look at Berkshire, it's not really a financial. It owns a couple of other things in there. It owns Apple. It owns Coke. It owns a couple of other names in there. That's the one in the XLF that I would continue to buy. JP Morgan extended to me. Now, when you think about why is, why is it extended, we started trading as if the Fed was going to stop asset purchases, raise rates, and clear the balance sheet immediately. That, to me, is an overstatement. I'm going to take the under with the Fed. So when you look at these financials, they've been doing extraordinarily well for the last year. Time to take a little bit of profit. The XLF has been great. If you want to play the regionals where you think the, the, um, the economy will start back up again, that's a place where I could be. Other than that, I think it's time to fade some of the financials or most of the large cap money center banks. Jeff, I see you nodding. Yeah, yeah. I want to add on a little bit to what Steve said, because I think we're generally on the same page. For me, I think it's generally a time horizon thing. So I think you can actually ride the bank trade a little bit, maybe for another quarter or two. But I do think that the rate hike environment and the forecast for rate hikes, it's ultimately going to be out of step with reality. I actually sent in a chart, so hopefully we can put it up on the screen. But I think you're already starting to see signs that inflation is peaking. So you had the PMI report last week. You had supplier delivery times roll over. Prices paid roll over. And ultimately, if you look at this chart, you had the 10-year tracking along with those inflation indicators. It makes sense. 
Those are trending up. The 10-year trends up. What we've seen recently is those roll over and the 10-year continue higher. Now, there's no rule that says the 10-year has to ultimately roll over. But I do think that inflation dynamic ultimately weighs on the bank trade. It's becoming consensus. But at the same time, I think that there's money still moving in that direction and there's momentum. So this is that time horizon thing that I'm talking about. You know, banks were very oversold going into the end of the year. So I think there's still more room for them to recover. But also to reiterate what Steve said, I think you should differentiate between what's going on between the regionals and the larger banks. The regionals have broken out. There's more momentum there. I would prefer to see JP Morgan above 170, the Bank of America of the world break out to new highs as well. And you saw that trading action today. Look at the KBW Bank ETF. That was down. And then look at the KBE. That was up. The KBE much more down the cap spectrum, more regional banks there. So I think that's the the positioning you want to focus on within banks here going forward. Nadine, I see you uh, nodding as well. And we had a guest on Power Lunch earlier today who made the point that Jeff just did. And that is sort of leaning toward uh, the the sort of midsize banks, the fifth thirds, the, uh, the, the, the those. Do, do you buy that argument in banking as the as the stronger place to make money now? You know, there's two things to think what Jeff said, and we were laughing about it this morning because we were agreeing. And that is you want to rent this trade, you don't want to own it. And what does that mean? It's the time horizon, number one, Tyler. But I'll get to the answer. But then two for us, it's not even just about like the mid-tier regional banks. We're going international. So we own European banks. And if mm. you can't own locally in Europe, you know, you can use the EUFN. That's been on a tear. So we're looking to other parts of the world that are opening up, that are going to have to raise rates eventually, that have had stricter rules. You know, they have a ton of cash on the balance sheet. We think that have a lot of more um, value levers versus the U.S. here, especially since their valuations only more recently have popped up. And we've seen the U.S. benefiting pretty much all last year. Pete, are you a buyer, a renter, a seller of banks? And if so, which which types? <laughs> buyer and a renter. A buyer and a renter. <laughs> I'm a buyer and a renter. Yeah, and here's why, Tyler. I think this is a great example today of what we got in terms of earnings. When you're looking at Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan, what I mean by that is this. When you look at J.P. Morgan, where is it trading versus book? That's what we oftentimes use as our measuring stick for the banks. So we're not necessarily looking at P.E. We're looking at what is the price versus the book. Well, you look at something like J.P. Morgan. It's more than two times book. That's expensive. Then all of a sudden you look over at Wells Fargo, which has already been ripping and outperforming through J- past J.P. Morgan anyway. And you're looking at basically about one and a half times book, maybe even a little less than that. So I think you have to look at each and each one of these names in a different manner to see where they are, which one's a little bit more expensive than the other. Also, when you heard today and you looked at the guidance for J.P. Morgan, that didn't look all that great. Meanwhile, you look at Wells Fargo, that did. So I think there are differentiations between a lot of these different banks. And I think, you know, for instance, I own Bank of America. I also own U.S. Bank, a little bit of a smaller bank. I had Wells Fargo. We had some huge call activity just two days ago, Tyler, where they were buying the February 57 and a half calls. They bought 28,000 of those calls. And boy, did they work almost immediately. By today, with the big run-up to new 52-week highs, those calls nearly doubled on the day. So gives you a little bit of an idea. So that was the rental side of it. Wells Fargo, I'm actually out of that trade. But I still think I'm very confident in Bank of America. I'm very confident in some of these other banks as well. U.S. Bank is, is one of those names as well. But I do think there are some regionals that have a lot of room to run to the upside still. Yeah, as, I don't know whether people can see the chart that we have over there. To your point, Wells Fargo. 
Fargo up 21% so far this year. City 10, uh, Bank of America 7, Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan just basically flat. Steve, I'll come back to you for a final word here since the others have chimed in. Any final reactions or, or thoughts? Yeah, so, so Pete's exactly right. In the U.S. Bank, uh, I, I was trying to rifle through all those charts. Pete speaks fast, runs fast, lifts a lot of weights, and he throws things around a lot. But he's a gentleman, and he knows the stock market extremely well. So I was trying to rip through these charts as he was saying it. I think the best chart that he mentioned was U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank had what looked to be a double top and is actually breaking higher from there. Wells Fargo, for me, too overextended. And, and I, I, I agree with everything... Uh, handsome Pete said, but the problem I have is that when you look at this and you see on a, on a relative strength index, you don't even have to pull up an RSI on this. I don't care what it is. When I see a nosebleed chart like that, it's going to warrant a lot of selling. And I, and I don't disagree with any of the fundamentals Pete said. All right, folks, we're going to move on now. I, I can't take my eye off the artwork over Nadine's left shoulder. I love that painting of that uh, little girl there. That's lovely. All right, meanwhile, the S&P, it's fun when we get to see all's houses, isn't it? It's great. The S&P has been climbing a perfect slope over the last year and a half, but the chart master warns perfection never lasts. Not even here with me. No. So where are we headed from here? Let's go to Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter. Well, it's true, right? Perfection does exist. There are moments in time or moments that last, but it doesn't last forever, of course, and often not very long at all. The market has been perfect. Everybody knows this. Independent of the constituents, has been a perpetual motion machine. When one area falters, another area comes in and picks up the slack. Uh, but we are churning and stalling. Everyone knows the internals, uh, the percentage of stocks that are down 20% or more in the Russell 3000s. Uh, climbing every day. And now we're losing some of the big ones. And I think uh, ultimately it ends up with more of a drawdown than we've seen. So let's look at three charts. They're all identical. They're all of the S&P. So there's your chart of the S&P 18 months. And it literally is a perfect north by northeast, higher and higher, steadily higher, uh, never too hot, nice little dips and pullbacks. Now look at the channel, second chart. It's been in uh, just a perfect channel. And the question is, uh, is this going to persist? What's happening under the surface would suggest that the answer is no. Final chart is just leaving the bottom um, of the channel and an arrow. The arrow is a judgment. That's mine. Uh, and what we're seeing here is, again, uh, big stocks like Microsoft, uh, big stocks like Google, which will ultimately drive uh, the performance of the market starting to flag. And if there was enough in other areas to pick up the slack, that would be okay. But for every bank that's been good, uh, there's a JP Morgan, there's a Jefferies, there are consumer names collapsing from Nike to Lulu. And so the churn is on. And the question is, do we just churn or do we churn and roll further? I think it's the latter. Yeah. When you look uh, to, as today at the S&P 500, it was basically flat. The Dow down a couple of hundred. Uh, Nasdaq basically, uh, I guess, basically flat as well. But you look at the, um, the plus minus advances decliners. There were about 2,000 decliners and 1,300 advancers. That tells you, uh, and as you said, the percentage of stocks uh, in the S&P 500 that are more than 10% off their highs. These are the kinds of things, the internals, Pete Nigerian, that we have to uh, pay attention to when the market is churning as carter puts it yeah 
There's no doubt about it. I think we all have to pay attention to that. And I think specifically, so many are following the charts these days of, of people like Carter. And for the right reasons, because these charts have been very, very uh, incredibly accurate. And so it's something I think we all have to be very um, aware of while we're trading. I think with that being said... It all does depend, and one of the reasons that I loved this past year was we had this rotation throughout the year that I thought was very, very healthy. Yes, we had some falls to the downside, but I loved the rotation from one sector to another sector to another sector. There were some sectors that absolutely just screamed all year long, like energy and some of the others, but the reality is I think that there is something very healthy about looking to see underneath not only just what's up, what's down, but what are the sectors that are are taking charge? And I think that's important as well. Mm -hmm. Jeff, is there a trade here in the broad market in the S&P based on the charts that uh, the chart master just showed us? Well, I think there is. And I think the continued momentum is going to be in financials and energy like we talked about. You know, longer term, maybe maybe you have some questions there, but that's where the momentum is. But to your point, Tyler, about internals, our friend Chris Verone put out a note this morning entitled Risk from the Top. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's risk from these large market cap names that are rolling over. And sadly, I agree with Carter in that I think there could be more room to the downside. I think this is particularly interesting in terms of internals. So The percentage of NASDAQ 100 stocks above their 200-day moving average is only 55%. So in prior corrections in the NASDAQ over the past, say, 12 to 18 months, we've had the benefit of much stronger internals, many more stocks in an uptrend. That's not the case today. So there's less participation under the surface. That worries me that there's a little bit more room to go on the downside. I look at the way Microsoft is trading through the 50-day, through the 150-day. That makes me think there's some technical damage that needs a little bit more time to resolve mm-hmm. itself. So for me, I worry about that weighing on the overall index. All right, we're going to take a quick break, folks, and, and come right back. And coming up when we do come back, a streaming surge. Why news of higher prices got Netflix shares popping late today. How you should trade the stock right now and into earnings. And later, retail shares getting wrecked in today's trade. Should you go shopping in these for sale names? Just steer clear of the discount rack. We got answers when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Customers may not like it, but investors seem to. Netflix, Netflix stock popping today after announcing price hikes. Our Julia Borston has the details. Hi, Julia. Hi, Tyler. Well, as Netflix spends more on content, it's raising prices in the U.S. and Canada for the first time since October of 2020, hiking those 
prices by between $1 and $2, depending on the plan. Now, the most popular standard Netflix plan is going from $14 a month to $15.5 a month. The basic plan will be a dollar more expensive at $10, and the premium plan is going up by $2 to $20 a month. Now, Netflix says, quote, we understand people have more entertainment choices than ever, and we're committed to delivering an even better experience for our members. We're updating our prices so that we can continue to offer a wide variety of quality entertainment options. Analyst Mark Mahaney tells us that Netflix is doing this price increase from a position of strength and that he interprets it as a sign that subscription additions for the quarter that just ended and the outlook for next year are reasonably robust. Mahaney notes that over the past decade, Netflix has demonstrated pricing power. And while they've increased pricing about every other year, he notes that the number of new subscribers has accelerated. So Tyler will be looking out to see what Netflix says about their pricing power when they report next week. All right, Julia, thanks very much. Let's trade it. Nadine, I'm going to turn to you first. Uh, obviously, the stock moved up on this news. Um, a buck and a half, two bucks a month. Maybe, maybe this is just inflation, right? <laughs> You know, the stock was already down 25% from its November highs, Tyler. So, I mean, that was the time to short it. And investors know that app download, the momentum faded during the quarter. So they're probably going to miss guidance next week on the metric. But we were expecting prices to go up, and that's what you gave today ahead of time, right? And you're looking at the first quarter now. Where they're going to be talking, what are they going to do? They're going to hike prices. And also you look at Cobra Kai, Ozark, Richardson, and my favorite, Jim Gaffigan's new stand-up comedy. So they're going to be talking about content, what you're going to get of the value for that dollar, right? So it's a trade, but I wouldn't trade it into next week because the good news just came out. So if there's any weakness next week on the, on the uh, earnings, that's probably when you pick it up. Um, it, it's about a fair fight right now, 12% up, 12% down on the potential earnings release. What do you think, uh, Steve, of, of Netflix? I, I, last night I watched a movie on Netflix uh, that is a Netflix production, widely panned by critics, but apparently viewers didn't like. It's called Don't Look Up. It's got uh, DiCaprio, it has Jennifer Lawrence, it has uh, Meryl Streep, it has Jonah Hill. These folks don't work cheap. They don't work cheap. By the way, by the way, I'm actually going out with uh, three of those that you just mentioned tonight. So no. I think that's sort of a sort of a coincidence. But, yeah. a, but anyway, when when you really look at the chart, I think Nadine is is onto something there. The, the stock has been down about 26% from those November highs. It's sitting right at support. So technically, it is a buy. My problem, though, Tyler, is think about the bigger picture here. How many of these streaming services uh, services can we all carry? We right, all have them right, all. Right. So when you start, for me, for me in the beginning, I thought that Netflix had the pricing power. It still does. What I'm starting to feel, though, is that Netflix is trying to get more from a slowing base uh, or a slowing growth rate. So I think fundamentally I'm negative on it. Technically, I think you get a near-term pop, like Nadine said. Ultimately, I think that Netflix is sideways to lower. I don't know about you, Pete, but I just want to know more about Steve's evening ahead here, right? I mean, who's, who's, who are you going out with? Where are you going? I've, I've, said, going I've said too much. You've I've said, said way too, too much. much. <laughs> you said way. What? But Pete, Pete's on. I mean, excuse me. Uh, uh, Steve is on to a point here. Th there are so many yeah. streaming options, including one by our parent company, Comcast or NBC Universal. There are so many sure. streaming options here that the that the if you were to sign up for all of them, ESPN Plus, Disney Plus. Uh, uh, Paramount, all of them, you're, 
you're spending what you spent for the cable bundle. Yeah, but you know what? I will say this. I always listen to Mark Mahaney. He's been right. He's been great. He's the guy that I go to when we're talking about Netflix. And when I look at a lot of the different growth areas of this company, this already tells me something, a little bit of a sneak preview, I think, where we're getting right now is, hey, look, they are coming from a position of power. They've got strength. They've got growth. They started to accelerate some of the subscribers. They've been, if they can cha charge us a little bit more, that tells me a lot. It tells me that they are putting money into content, but at the same time, this is a company that over time, we've seen the earnings grow and grow and grow. And because of that, I think this is finally a company where it looks a little bit more interesting. Steve mm -hmm. was talking about it's sitting on one of those levels where it could bounce. I actually think it really could bounce. It's already off almost 200 points from the highs. I think it actually has a rally in front of it. Boy, this, this half hour goes by very fast. Thanks, guys. Uh, and don't look up. I thought it was pretty good. It has a little bit of a political metaphor undertone to it. The bottom line here, spoiler alert, is we're all going to die. Okay, that's it. That's all you need to know about the movie. All right, coming up, a retail reckoning. Consumer stocks taking a hit today after this morning's disappointing sales numbers. So how should you trade these stocks now? And stick around for a special edition of Fast Money. You like this? You're going to get even more coming up at the top of the hour. We will tackle your deepest, burning, most urgent questions. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money, and we might just answer you on air. We'll be back in two. All right, folks, welcome back to Fast Money. We round out the show with Buzzkill. But not for you, in the retail space. Take a look at the S&P Retail and Amplify Online Retail ETFs. Today's weakness uh, coming as consumer sentiment in January hit its second lowest level since 2014. Plus, retail sales unexpectedly dropped almost 2% last month. Nadine, let's start with you. Your prognosis for retail. T.S. Lombard came out with a great piece today, and they, they put a cogent message together. One, retail spending was boosted by stimulus payments, fiscal transfers. You're not getting those anymore. So that explosive growth is gone. Two, people aren't going to spend down all their savings. And then so three, spending is going to settle the trend, recognize the trend going forward is unlikely to be the same one as before COVID, but it should be similar. So there's a chart, if you guys can pull it up. And it looked at real discretionary retail spending versus growth in total labor income. And so most likely that lower line of income is heading up. So people are getting paid more. That was the problem with JP Morgan today. Their expenses are going up. Mm -hmm. But also means that the higher line, the retail spend is coming down. And so we're seeing that now. We're going to be having one line come down, one line come up. And you're not going to have the explosive growth because that support system that fueled it greater than expected isn't going to be there anymore. And if the S&P isn't holding steady, people get nervous. And some of that spend at the luxury area as well doesn't get spent. So we think it should continue to have some weakness. We'd be careful here. We have to uh, leave that discussion here because I spent so much time talking about Steve's evening ahead. But we're going to go straight to final <laughs> trades. Steve, what's your trade tonight? Well, I'll text you about the evening later, but my final trade is MP Materials. It's my play on rare earth. It is a volatile stock, so be careful. All right, Nadine, you're next. I do love MP, but we had a nice pop in gold, GLD. The new entry price, because people always ask me, has moved up to 167.60, so you don't have to wait for 166. And Pete, you are next. I'm going to give you a target. I think it's at the levels you've got to buy it again, Tyler. Target, target. Uh, go, sticking with the hometown stock. And Jeff, you round it out, brother. 
Fry Morris, keep riding this one higher. All right. Thanks very much, folks. Really enjoyed it. Really fun to be with you. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.